This is the second week of Advent and the second week of our Advent message series. Advent is a season of hope, and as we noted last week, if there is a number one hope for the holiday season, an overriding hope, a universal hope, many people would probably say it's peace, the promise of peace. And that's what this series is focused on. I always say that our message series, in an odd and spooky sort of way, always, and I mean always, get played out in my own life. And that's what happened right on schedule last Sunday. Sunday night is kind of a special time for me, a sort of sacred time for me to decompress at what is, for me, the end of the work week. Last Sunday, I had a plan for the evening. I was going to decorate my Christmas tree, which I love to do. I was going to decorate the tree and watch a holiday movie and enjoy my fireplace. So I got out and unpacked and organized and sorted through all the tree decorations. I selected my movie, and I was literally all set to get started. And that's when the lights went out. Except for the glow of the fire was absolutely pitch dark. I had no candles, no flashlight. There was no street lights because the whole neighborhood was out. And I sat there for the longest time considering all the things I couldn't do. I couldn't watch that Christmas movie or decorate the tree. I couldn't cook dinner. I couldn't read. It was way too early to go to bed. I couldn't clean. I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything, including get in my car and go somewhere else because Tom had borrowed my car. <laughs> All I could do was sit in the dark, sit in the dark and gaze at the fire. And literally, sitting there for a couple of hours, I had two thoughts. First thought, with absolutely nothing to do, nowhere to go, nobody to talk to, I guess this would be an exercise in the kind of absolute extreme peace that I'm talking about in this series. Second thought, absolute extreme peace stinks. <laughs> I've said it before and I'll say it again. Every message there is always gets played out in my own life. That's why we're never doing a series on death. <laughs> Seriously, though, we really do look forward to the promise of peace. And for some reason, the Advent Christmas season, more than any other season of the year, seems to put into focus our heart's desire for peace. And while we can easily think of peaceful experiences, peaceful environments, moments of peace, feelings of peace, the heart's desire for peace goes far beyond those experiences and environments, far deeper than moments or feelings. You could probably also say, perhaps now, more than ever before in our experience, we feel that desire in an urgent kind of way. Given the world around us and current events, from insurrections and unrest and all-out war abroad to violence and incivility domestically, not to mention the peace we deny ourselves. The collective experience of all of it ensures that peace remains elusive. Many people are feeling this disquiet. Maybe you are feeling this disquiet. 
And this is where our desires and God's desire intersect. All of Scripture teaches that the coming of the Messiah, the long-awaited, often-promised Savior of the people, whose coming Advent remembers and celebrates, all of Scripture describes a correlation between the arrival of the Messiah and the establishment of peace. Scripture calls Him the Prince of Peace, who will come to bring peace on earth to all peoples. That's the promise of the angels to the shepherds. Scripture tells us that's what God wants. So, we want peace. God wants peace for us. Why does peace remain so elusive? And what can we do to find it in a substantial kind of way and hold on to it? That's what this series is all about. Today, we're looking specifically at making peace with others, making peace with one another. In our fallen world, peace doesn't happen naturally or automatically. Sometimes it doesn't happen at all. Ironically, while we look to Christmas time as the time for peace, instead it is perhaps the number one time of year when we're more likely to experience conflict. Conflict in our family, conflict among our friends, at work, at school, conflict out in traffic on York Road, the heightened expectations, the busyness of the season, the accompanying tension of the season is perfectly designed to invite conflict. There are basically three dynamics to interpersonal conflict that are almost always at work. It's when our interactions with others become all about who will win and who will lose, who's right and who's wrong, and who will be in control and who will be controlled. These dynamics are constant temptations for us when it comes to our interpersonal inter interactions. And when we give in to those temptations, they usually lead to conflict. Meanwhile, God wants us to partner with Him when it comes to peace. In fact, Jesus told us that true sons and daughters of God are actually properly titled peacemakers. But how? How do we become peacemakers? To help us out with that question, we're going to look at a passage from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, which we just heard in today's second reading. The letter to the church in Rome is perhaps the most important, the most substantive of Paul, all Paul's writings. In it, he offers some of the densest, deepest theological reflection in the New Testament. So, if you're just getting started in Bible reading, Romans is probably not the place you want to begin. But along with those dense theological reflections, we find in Romans some of the most beautiful, the most inspiring, the most encouraging words in all of Scripture. It's in Romans that Paul wrote, writes, hope does not disappoint. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. Paul writes, God makes all things work together for good. And in addition to the theology and the inspiration in Romans, Paul also offers some practical suggestion for Christian living, which was really helpful and timely 
because this was the first generation of Christians, and they were still trying to figure out what being Christian meant, how Christians were supposed to act. In the 14th chapter of Romans, Paul addresses a conflict that had erupted in the church over religious rule-keeping, and that's been going on in church world ever since. Church people fighting with other church people over church stuff. Just read some of the vicious fights on Catholic Twitter <laughs> over liturgical preferences and music at Mass, and see what I mean. If you want to experience real conflict, bitter conflict, then dive into the topic of music at Mass. I won't go into what the Romans were fighting about because that would take too long, and after I explained it, you wouldn't care anyway. So suffice it to say, both sides had some mighty strong convictions about some mighty inconsequential things, and it was causing division and conflict in the community. Paul is seeking a peaceable, charitable resolution to the disagreements. And so he writes, let us then pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. We who are strong are, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So bear with others. That's the starting point. As in, bear with me, stay with me. It's about supporting others and extending grace and mercy to them. Think of yourself as someone who is strong and has the ability to help with the weight of another person's weaknesses. To be peacemakers, we can choose to bear the weaknesses of others, and in the process, we can please them. We can build them up. Why? Why do it? Paul tells us, because Christ did not live to please himself. As Paul often does in giving an instruction, he points to the example of Jesus. The reason <clears throat> Christ's followers bear with one another, putting up with faults and, and failings of others, is because it's Christ-like. It's what Christ did. Consequently, consequently, when you find yourself getting worked up once again at the many faults and failings of your spouse, when you just want to watch the game and your kids are nothing but needy and noisy, when your parents are embarrassing you to tears with their weird idiosyncratic behavior, when your sibling's selfishness is making you sick, when your dear old annoying aunt asks yet again about when are you going to have children, when your good mood turns sour because your crazy cousin insists on spouting his extreme political views with no regard for your views, just remember, Jesus did not live his life to please himself. Instead, he had to bear with all the faults and failings of all the people around him all of the time. His co-workers, the apostles, often misunderstood him and got things terribly wrong. At least some of his family thought he was crazy. The religious leaders hated him. The people of Nazareth wanted to kill him. He not only put up with all their faults and failures, he died for their faults and failures, and yours and mine, too. 
He suffered insults and injury and beatings and was spit upon and nailed to the cross for our failings. Think about that. He had to bear the cross. You only have to bear with your crazy cousin. Paul's saying to be a peacemaker, don't let other people's behavior dictate your behavior. Don't let other people's attitudes dictate your attitude. Or think about it this way. If you're a Christ follower, you're to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. What's the difference? Well, thermometers reflect the temperature of the room, and that's all they do. A thermostat sets the temperature of the room. As Christ followers, we set the temperature for peace by bearing the weaknesses of others. But there's one more thing. Paul says, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. Another translation says, accept one another. Both translations have something to teach us. Paul instructs the believers in Rome to accept others as Christ accepted them, and that is about attitude. That's about our heart. We accept people for where they are, not where we want them to be. We accept people in their immaturity. We accept people in their self-centeredness and their selfishness. We accept people who have hurt us. Why? Why would we do that? Because we've been immature, we've been selfish and self-centered, we've hurt other people, and Jesus accepts us completely. Acceptance is an attitude of the heart, and peacemaking is about attitude. But it's also about effort. That other translation, welcome one another. That can be an incredibly practical, incredibly specific action step that we can take every day, every time you have an opportunity. Greet people, acknowledge them, welcome them. Welcome others even if you don't know them, even if you have no interest in the encounter, even if you have no affinity for them. Amid the beautiful tributes paid to the queen following her death, it was said of her that she made greeting others look effortless, and when speaking to you could make you feel as if she would rather be speaking to you than anyone else in the world. That takes effort. And with some people, it can take a lot of effort, a lot. We call them extra grace required people. A friend of mine in ministry tells of an experience working in youth ministry. There was a teenage girl in her youth group who drove her absolutely nuts. She was obnoxious and annoying, and every time she showed up, my friend's heart sank. But my friend determined that she would accept the girl and make every effort to welcome her and encourage her and build her up every time she came to the church. Unfortunately, this young lady at one point was in a terrible car accident and ended up in the hospital. So my friend went to the hospital to visit her. And when she arrived, the girl burst into tears. She was almost uncontrollable tears. And she kept saying, 
You were the only one. You were the only one. And finally, my friend said, I was the only one what? What are you talking about? And she said, you were the only one who was ever happy to see me. Sometimes a little thing can be a great big thing. Bear with one another, accept one another, welcome one another. These are the basic steps of peacemaking. There are also universal acts of love, and our lives are meant to be full of such acts. Living this peace each day, every day, might not change the world, but it could change your world, and it might change someone else's too. Peace isn't found in the absence of trouble and conflict. It's found in the presence of God. And as a peacemaker, you can reflect that presence. Hey, everyone. Thanks for watching with us today. Hit that subscribe button right now so you don't miss a single thing. You can be part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples simply by sharing this video. We are so grateful you're part of our community.